When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today's topic is a heavy one, just to warn you. It's not something that is a ton of fun, but it's actually really, really important. Mm. Today, we're going to be talking about women in prison, how they are treated when they are pregnant, and what it looks like when they go into labor behind bars. And if you are looking for a podcast episode of ours to run to or to have a very intensive workout to, this one will get your heart rate up no matter whether or not you're engaged in cardio activity. So y'all are about to be pissed because this topic is enraging. Definitely. So I first sort of got interested in this topic, um, like most things, because of a, of a Trump alert. So beep, beep, Trump alert. <laughs> um, you may have remembered a couple weeks ago, uh, Donald Trump pardoned this terrible, awful sheriff in Arizona, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who is known for a laundry list of really, really awful and cruel and dehumanizing acts. But one of those acts is forcing a woman to give birth in one of his prisons while shackled to her bed. When she actually filed a lawsuit, she ended up losing her lawsuit, but the lawsuit did find that she was inappropriately shackled during childbirth, which you're not supposed to do. Mm. So it's even more awful to me that Trump pardoned this guy because that seems like such a dehumanizing act to do to a woman, even even a woman behind bars. Right. And my, I mean, we're going to unpack all of the nitty gritty behind how this is still a policy being utilized in lots of prisons in our country and some of the reasons behind that or the reasons why that injustice persists, unfortunately. But the biggest thing that I'm left scratching my head thinking is where the hell do they think these women are really going to go? I mean, what is the what is the intent here? Because anyone who's given birth, and I, for one, have not, but I have witnessed a few live births, and my mom is a labor and delivery nurse, so I've seen, I've been around a lot of babies being born, let me just put it that way. First of all, you're not going anywhere, and second of all, you need to be able to have body autonomy, because that is one of the most physically taxing moments of any woman's life, and to think that these women can't move about their hospital bed freely disgusts me. 
Well, actually, Emily, um, there have actually been zero documented cases of pregnant inmates attempting to escape during prenatal checkups, postpartum recovery, or labor. So it really doesn't seem as if it makes any sense at all, logically, to be doing this. And furthermore, they shackle these women, regardless of whether they have histories of violence, regardless of whether they have, you know, made attempts to escape in the past. It seems completely divorced from the actual necessity of what's happening in this situation. Right. And there's really no personal consideration there. None. It has nothing to do with how compliant a prisoner this person has ever been. Exactly. So let's just level set for a minute and look at this from a bird's eye view. One thing to know about this issue is that it's actually really difficult to find out information about pregnant women inmates. And that's because we are not collecting that data at the state or federal level. So in this episode, a lot of the research that we've compiled comes from advocacy organizations like the Sentencing Project, Women in Prison Project, and um, the National Women's Law Center. And you might be thinking that there aren't that many women in prison, right? Prisons in our country are predominantly filled by men. But the reality is that over the last quarter century, there's been a steadily increasing number of women in prison due in no small part to the rise of nonviolent drug offenses landing people in jail. And women are more likely than men to be arrested for those nonviolent drug offenses. So the fact that we're locking people up who are no violent threat to society but have landed themselves in hot water and broken the law when it comes to drug policy in the United States means we're filling prisons with more women than ever. Yeah, and that's that's so sad to me. I have to say one thing that gives me a little bit of optimism, and this optimism might be sort of unearned, but I'm a little optimistic anyway. I feel like the tide has kind of turned in terms of how we think of nonviolent drug offenders in this country. I think that when you had the crack epidemic yeah. um, and most drug offenders were folks of color, people had a very, very hard line stance, like lock them up, throw away the key. I think these days... As the demographics are shifting culturally and racially, I've seen people taking new stances on this issue. So I'm a little bit optimistic in that I hope that we get to a place where drug offenses and addiction issues are not treated just as crimes, but they're treated as public health and health concerns, and that we are not just putting people in jail, where a lot of times, if you are someone who is struggling with drugs, that does not get you away from those drugs, that we're thinking about it in terms of alternative sentencing that actually can help these people change their lives. I think that calls for an episode on the opioid epidemic. Definitely. I think that will, that does have the potential to change how we look at drug offenses. I think you're right on. Unfortunately, I'm still pretty pessimistic on this issue, and here's why. The female prison population currently is eight times higher than it was in 1980, which was, I would say, what, the start of the crack epidemic or... Sort of the heyday. The thick of it, yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, more than 60% of those women in prisons have a child under the age of 18. So if you really think about the sort of ramifications of that, and not that men don't have children to, to be fathers for either, but those are, I don't know, it just feels like this domino effect that leaves me feeling quite hopeless, to be honest. It does, I mean, it does seem like a hopeless situation. It does seem like a situation that is perhaps not going to get much better. Um, And I can understand feeling quite depressed about Mm. it. It's true. I mean, I I hate to be a downer on this, but I think that the numbers really call for that here. Between the years of 1980 and 2014, the number of incarcerated women increased by more than 700%. And tragically, just like you mentioned at the top of the episode, Bridget, even though we know how many women are in prison these days, there's no real data kept on women who are pregnant or women who give birth while serving out their sentences. 
So this is a fraught issue that's not even really well understood when it comes to how prisons are tracking their own inmates. And how can we even begin to tackle an issue like this if we're not keeping data around it, we're not analyzing any kind of research? If it wasn't for these advocacy organizations, we wouldn't have half of this information that we do have. Exactly. So according to these advocacy organizations, why is, in case it's not obvious immediately to all of us, why is shackling pregnant inmates so dangerous? So one of the things that when I came into this issue, I was thinking of it purely as you should not be shackling pregnant women during labor because it's dehumanizing, it's awful. It just on its face seems terrible. But it's not just that it's dehumanizing and it's, you know, no one should give birth that way. It's actually really, really physically dangerous. Restraints make it difficult for doctors to adequately assess the condition of the mother and the fetus and it makes it difficult for them to provide prompt medical intervention if necessary. Um, restraints also make labor and delivery just more painful. And so if you're already in a painful, uncomfortable, trying situation that's physically demanding, right. being shackled, and a lot of times shackled for no real reason, might I add, makes that situation that much more uncomfortable. I know. My mom has told me how her patients will go from the bed to the bathtub to the plyo ball to turning over on their side, on their, on all fours. Sometimes you have to like move your body to make labor move along smoothly. And it's already such an uncomfortable, painful experience for so many of us to take away your body autonomy in that moment when you're already trying to bring a new life into this world which does often require moving your entire body around to make labor and delivery more safe for the fetus. Like if you have a baby that's breech and you have to get that baby to flip or you're going to be brought into an emergency C-section or you've got a umbilical cord around the baby's neck type situation, by strapping women and restraining women to the bed, we are putting both the life of that child and mother at risk. So for all the hard right-wingers out there who are you know, thinking, so what? She's a prisoner. She's lost those freedoms. Strap her down. If you're super pro-life, you want that baby to be okay. You've got to recognize that strapping women and, and shackling women to the bed uh, is putting that baby's life at risk, too. And, and that baby didn't do anything to deserve that crappy deck of cards pre life, like before their life even begins. And it's just so, so sad to me. I could almost understand if they had some sort of data that showed that women who go into labor are flight risks or right, something like that. Right. They're doing it for no reason at all. It's ma- it's putting the life of the woman and the baby at risk yeah. really for no reason. Well, I mean, I think the, the hardliners argument would be that these are prisoners, they're dangerous, they could grab a syringe and try to kill someone to escape. And I just don't think that that argument, that possibility outweighs the very real health risks and realities that we're putting mothers and their unborn children at because of this kind of policy. Yeah. I mean, one of the stories that I read on L.com was this woman who was arrested because, you know how when you're traveling, maybe you have a, a work purse and a go out purse. She had one oxy pill in a purse that was in the bottom of her purse and she had switched out her purses. She was arrested for some, some low level offense and they found that oxy pill. So, you know, she was arrested, got a heavy sentence and then was shackled during childbirth. Jeez. And again, keeping in mind that so many of these women are nonviolent drug offenders who are being arrested for a nonviolent crime, a crime that I think a lot of folks might argue they don't even really belong behind bars because of. Right. Thinking that you would have to have a baby that would be at risk because of that, I think is unfathomable. Right. And it just, to me, this falls under the cruel and unusual department. This is cruel. This is not 
part of equal sentencing or equal justice under the law. And so when we talk about, okay, should we treat men and women the same in this case? Or should we make exceptions for women because this penalizes women in a cruel and and unusual way? I think to me, it's very clear that there's no equivalent on the male side of this argument. There's no equivalent to how we're punishing men that could even amount to being shackled during childbirth. So this should by all means be unconstitutional because of its cruel and unusual nature, in my opinion. Well, you know who agrees with that opinion? (laughs) Pretty much the entire medical community. The American Medical Association says that the practice of shackling pregnant women is, quote, out of line with the ethics of the medical profession. And that's not all. There's an entire host of medical organizations that have pretty much come down on a hard-line stance against this practice. We're talking the American Public Health Association, the American College of OBGYNs. All of these organizations directly oppose shackling during childbirth. As do two organizations that are focused specifically on correctional health care, so health care for imprisoned folks. So it's one thing to, to put people in prison. It's another thing to dehumanize them. And this absolutely crosses the line, in my opinion. Yeah, the American College of OBGYNs had this to say about the practice. The use of restraints on pregnant incarcerated women and adolescents may not only compromise health care, but is demeaning and rarely necessary. So to me... That is so clear. It's so clear that we shouldn't be doing this. And beyond the physical risks and the very real health risks that we pose to the unborn children and mothers during childbirth, this practice also imposes psychological stresses that are particularly acute for inmates, many of whom have already been in abusive, intimate relationships. For instance, over 95% of incarcerated women have been found to be prior victims of sexual trauma. And that's according to a 2002 Family Crisis Services study. So if you think about being restrained while you are in the most, you're being examined and touched in the most intimate parts of your body by medical necessity, if you have any kind of sexual trauma in your background, that alone can be incredibly triggering and psychologically dangerous for rape survivors or folks who've, who've been survivors of sexual assault. I mean, it's just like, It just, I'm so, I get so enraged thinking about how dangerous this is beyond what the average male correctional officer, whoever the hell is behind these policies, can even comprehend. Definitely. And if you've ever seen the movie Knocked Up, Catherine Heigl's character, she's in the bathtub, she's trying to calm down because she doesn't want her baby to be, quote, born into the world, wired for stress. Exactly. And I think about, it's as if the prison system makes it so that if you are a child born from from a woman who is incarcerated, you don't even get the option of how you enter the world. You're already marked and set up to have a worse life than anyone else. Right. And that's so unfair to me. And there's a component of this which is really troubling to me because it's not their choice. Some parents will bring children into this world in an incredibly stressful and horrifying environment. That is a reality of the world we live in. This is depriving a woman like the woman you described, who was incarcerated after one oxy pill was found in the bottom of her purse, of even having the choice of trying to give her child a better life. And, you know, from moment one. And and I just think there has to be longer-term research done on what kind of an impact that has on those children as well. Considering the U.S. locks people up at a higher rate than any other country in the world, you would think we'd be invested in what impact this is having on our country and our citizenry. Yeah, absolutely. While the United States has only about 4.4% of the world's population, 
It houses 22% of the world's prisoners. Wow. Well, a big reason behind why this practice is still in place in so many prisons in the United States is because the whole system was geared toward men. Amy Fettig, the senior staff counsel of the National Prison Project at the ACLU, says... Men are always shackled when they're transported out of a correctional facility to receive medical care. And that policy has been applied across the board without considering the unique needs of women. And furthermore, it really sounds like most correctional officers haven't really been given much training or protocol around how to be sensitive toward pregnant female inmates. And I just think this is one of those issues where the entire system is set up with men in mind and women are just sort of getting the short end and it can really be dangerous. Patriarchy strikes again. As always. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk more about where we're at with this issue after this quick word from our sponsors. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, <laughs> then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. And we're back. And I know this issue is pretty depressing and awful. And enraging. I'm My blood is boiling over here. But we do have a little bit of good-ish news on this issue. In September of 2008, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, otherwise known as BOP, formally ended the process of shackling pregnant inmates as a matter of routine in all federal correctional facilities. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. So federal prisons, but not necessarily state prisons. Is that right? That's exactly right. So basically, federally, no one is supposed to be shackled during childbirth, but at, at the state level, it varies. And so, again, since we're not really collecting this data at a state level, it's up to advocacy organizations to really fill in the gaps about information that we have around how states are using this practice or not using this practice. And furthermore, again, to be even more of the bearer of bad news on this subject, unfortunately, just because it was banned doesn't mean that that's actually what's happening. A recent study published earlier this year by the Correctional Association of New York 
a nonprofit advocacy organization, found that 23 of the 27 inmates who'd given birth while incarcerated in New York had been shackled in total violation of the law. So it's they postulate that it's not uncommon for shackling during childbirth to persist, to continue as a practice, even when it was already outlawed. When you think about prisoners, that makes perfect sense. You're taught to comply. You don't want to run the risk of facing some sort of intense consequence if you don't comply. Um, according to Amanda Edgar, an advocate with the Incarcerated Women's Project, she said that one woman told her that if she didn't keep the shackles on, she wouldn't be able to go to her appointment and that other women have been denied access to prenatal vitamins. Oh and so God. if you're pregnant in prison... I can imagine it's this really, really scary thing where you don't want to rock the boat too much because you don't want to put your baby further at risk when she's already at risk. Oh, my God. It's that's just like what a horrifying choice to have to make as an imprisoned pregnant woman of trying to figure out what move is best for your child. And what I was also just disgusted to find out is that when we talk about shackles, I've been thinking you know, wrist to bed, right? Like shackles around your feet and maybe around your ankles, all of which is definitely part of this practice. But what we can't forget is that there's also laws on the books about other kinds of restraints, including belly shackles, which were commonly used to constrict the stomach area of pregnant women, regardless of the trimester of pregnancy that they were in, unless they can show a legitimate security justification. So I want to hear from women who've given birth on this front. Can you imagine being shackled on your ankles, on your wrists, and potentially around your belly while you are trying to bring another life into this world? Where, like, what, what kind of crazy regime would do that? Like, would have that kind of torture on the books? Oh wait, the the leader of the free world, the United States. This shit is happening in our country, and it's. It's like we would we wouldn't want this to happen. Like it just feels like a violation of the Geneva Convention. How is this okay? How is this being practiced? It just blows my mind. I think when I read that they were getting rid of the practice of belly shackling, I tried to make myself feel optimistic, but that means that before October 2007, if you were a woman who was pregnant in prison, you could be shackled by your belly, which is absurd and enraging and blood-boilingly upsetting to me. So let's talk about how things are going on a state-by-state basis. Spoiler alert, it's not going great. The Rebecca Project for Human Rights teamed up with the National Women's Law Center here in D.C. to publish a report card ranking different states on how they treat pregnant prisoners and mothers. Um, The criteria they used was whether or not states require pregnant women to have access to prenatal care, do they restrict the use of restraints on pregnant women during labor, and whether or not they strengthen the mother-child bond through the use of things like alternative sentencing. Um, Oh, right, because even after you give birth to a, a baby, your newborn, as an imprisoned mother, perhaps while shackled to the bed... That's it. You say goodbye, and it's unclear how much time you have with your infant child before you're back in prison without them. Exactly. God. It's it's awful. It's so awful. The Rebecca Project and the National Women's Law Center is very, very careful to point out that even if a state gets an A, that does not actually mean they're doing all they can. Because it sounds like, just in general, we're not concerned for the very thing that you just mentioned, mother-child bonds, whether or not a child is set up to have a healthy attachment to their mom, whether or not they're being set up to have a healthy childhood, all of those things. We don't seem concerned about that. And again, it feels like a multi-generational penalty. It feels like we're taking women who have been penalized in the eyes of the law, have been found guilty, have been sentenced to serve and re- and basically serve their time for their crime. 
Now we are saying your child, potentially your unborn child, who's not getting the prenatal care that you would have otherwise been able to give them outside of prison. And then the child that's being ripped from you without access to the lactation option that mothers might otherwise have for them. We are penalizing these babies because of crimes committed by their mothers. I'm just at a loss. And and furthermore, the, the numbers on this report card are pretty dismal. 38 states received failing grades for their failure to institute adequate policies or any policies requiring access to prenatal care for imprisoned mothers or imprisoned pregnant women. 34 states do not require screening and treatment for women with high-risk pregnancies. Uh. That sounds like you're just setting them up to have a potentially life-threatening pregnancy. Which pretty much every pregnancy is potentially life-threatening. True, yeah. And we're talking about women who are already at high-risk pools. It's just, it seems above and beyond what is humane. It just seems cruel and unusual and, and a, like, it just doesn't seem like this should exist in our first world justice system or really any justice system. Yeah, and listen to this. 49 states out of 50 fail to report all incarcerated women's pregnancies and their outcomes. That means that only one state is even invested at all in terms of keeping records around pregnant inmates and what happens when they give birth in jail. Right. So we don't even know what the infant mortality rate is for imprisoned women. But I would venture to guess it's not great. And furthermore, despite the federal outlawing of this practice on a federal level in federal prisons, 36 states received failing grades for their complete failure to limit the use of restraints on pregnant women during transportation, labor, and delivery, as well as postpartum recuperation. So despite it being on the books as not a thing, that is clearly not what's happening in real life in practice. And that has to change. It does have to change. And again, I I have to say, as awful as this issue is, this report from the National Women's Law Center actually does lift up the Federal Bureau of Prisons as taking some steps, you know, that we said earlier that they ban shackling of women in labor. They also have a program called Mothers and Infants Nursing Together, or MINT, that provides alternative community-based sentencing for women who have recently given birth and have less than five years left off their prison terms. Mm. So I will say, I mean, as awful as it is, I'm hopeful that federally, these federal prisons can continue to show some kind of leadership in terms Mm -hmm. of turning the tide on this issue. And I'm hoping that the early success of that program, even though it only currently serves a very small portion of mothers in federal prison, can be used as inspiration for widening access to that kind of slightly more compassionate approach to incarceration. I I agree with you. And I think it is a little bit optimistic or slightly optimistic That is, until you look at our immigration system. Now, granted, immigration and customs enforcement is different than federal prisons, but they are also operated federally. And so I think it makes sense to look at how pregnant inmates are being treated in those facilities. And ICE facilities are used for housing undocumented residents who are basically being rounded up and potentially deported. Is that correct? Correct. So, spoiler alert... They're not being treated very well. According to this report from the National Women's Law Center, conditions for women in ICE detention centers are pretty crappy. There is currently no prohibition on shackling pregnant detainees. ICE officials have been largely unresponsive to advocates' requests to implement a policy of restricting shackling that mirrors the federal policies that prisons have. And I really think that even if you are the hardest of hardliners on immigration, even if you truly believe that 
Donald Trump should round up every undocumented immigrant and immediately deport them. I would be surprised if even that hardcore and anti would include shackling pregnant immigrants during childbirth in a detention center. Particularly if these inmates have not been shown to be flight risks. All right, we need to take a break or I'm going to flip over the table in our studio right now. So right after this quick word from our sponsors, we'll be back with hopefully some better news and what the heck is being done to change this. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. And we're back. And if you are feeling the way we're feeling, your blood is probably boiling right now. The good news is this is one of those problems that seems to have some very clear solutions. This No one needs to be throwing their hands up in exasperation and trying to figure out how to solve an unsolvable problem here. So what do some of these solutions or proposed alternatives are out there, Bridget, for making this less horrific? Well, the first one I would say is pretty common sense, and that's follow the freaking law. (laughs) If you're a correctional officer in a state where the law says that women should not be shackled during childbirth, don't shackle them during childbirth. I know. It surprises me that an institution known for its Respect for the chain of command doesn't seem to be hearing that for federal prisons, it has been outlawed to shackle women during childbirth. So just training and actual implementation of the law in the books there would be a great place to start. Definitely. I think furthermore, keeping track of data, keeping track of the numbers. We track a lot of things when it comes to our inmate population here in the United States, and we have to do a better job of actually knowing how big of a problem this is, but we can't do that until there's more transparency and reporting and accountability on the behalf of our federal institutions to be clear about who's pregnant, how they're being treated, what kind of care is being provided for them, and what the outcomes are. Any country, especially a democracy, would want to know how their prisons are actually being run and how prisoners are being treated because that is a reflection of the values of your nation. And so we here in the United States, especially, if we're going to be locking up more people than any other country, we need to take seriously how that population of citizens is or is not being treated with the same 
equal justice, dignity, and, and personhood and being seen as a human being, even while serving time for their crime. Totally. I'm so glad that you said that because a pet peeve of mine when it comes to how we think about incarcerated individuals is that we think of them all as monsters, that they're not even really human. They've probably done something awful to be behind bars. And once they're behind bars, we don't even need to think about what's going on with them. We don't even need to think about what kind of conditions they're facing. And I think if we can begin to remember that this is really supposed to be about rehabilitation and what will be the best course of action to get these people's lives back on track. Because they're re-entering society. How do we want to treat people who are going to be re-entering our society and those underlying issues or how they've been treated while serving their time, that's just not going away. These are our neighbors. These are our community members. How do we believe that we should be treating imprisoned folks knowing that they have rights too? I don't know how else to say it, but... Well, there's actually a lot of data that shows that we really do need to be rethinking how we are treating inmates when they are incarcerated. So the Rebecca Project actually suggests that things like family-based treatment can be a great alternative to incarceration, particularly for folks who are behind bars for a nonviolent offense. So check this out. When a father is incarcerated, 90% of the time, if they have a child, that child lives with their mom. But when a mother is incarcerated, only 25% of the time will the child live with the father. So basically what they're saying is that maternal incarceration is really, really disruptive to a family unit. And mm. so when you have a mom who's behind bars, who's not able to see her child, not only is that bad for the mom, it's also setting that child up to have a higher risk life in terms of things like uh, encountering violence, being a drug offender themselves. And so mm. if you were really, really interested in the most effective ways of making sure that everybody is going to get back on track, things like community-based or family-based therapy where mothers have access to their children as an alternative to incarceration have actually been proven to not only be more effective, but also more cost-effective. Wow. And that alternative can include access to community-based programs, therapy, parenting classes, and substance abuse treatment. So if I'm thinking about prison as this underlying theory of change, right, the theory behind prisons in the United States is that we are taking people out of society because they were a danger or a problem to society. And before we put them back into society, they need to prove that they have been rehabilitated or changed this, to me, seems like a much better avenue to that kind of rehabilitation and for setting mothers up and their children up for more successful and sustainable outcomes. I think the reality here is that this is a complex issue. This is a small, relatively small percentage of prison inmates who are going through this situation of childbirth while in prison, but we cannot ignore their unique needs and we cannot turn a blind eye and pretend like treating them the same as every other prisoner is going to cut it. And frankly, even some of the proposed solutions are a little bit complex. For instance, instead of ripping newborns from their imprisoned mothers, we can start to look at prison nurseries as a potential part of the solution here. Studies do show that children who are pulled away from their mothers very, very early on due to maternal incarceration, risk suffering significant attachment disorders. They become more likely to be addicted to drugs or alcohol, engage in criminal activity, manifest sexually promiscuous behavior, and dangerously lag behind in educational development and achievement. But again, in terms of how nuanced and complicated this issue is, even prison nurseries as a solution comes with its own set of drawbacks. According to the National Women's Law Center report, 
they've actually heard from mothers with children in prison nurseries who have said that their baby's close proximity has allowed prison staff to coerce and manipulate them by threatening to deny access to their own children. So even in the situation where mm. it's presented as a solution, because prison can be such a toxic place, having your baby close by can sometimes even be an- just another way that you can be manipulated by prison staff. Right, which is incredibly cruel, but not surprising for... You know, I think if Orange is the New Black taught me anything, that it's really these prison wards lording over the prisoners and using a complex array of both carrots and sticks to control the population. And at the end of the day, we have to keep in mind that it's our taxpayer dollars that are going to pay for our prisons. Even the private ones are supported at least in part, if not in total, by taxpayer funds. So this is our money that's going to the shackles that are being used on pregnant women during labor. This is our money that's going to pay the salaries of the wardens who are implementing policies that might be not in compliance with federal law. So we have to stay vigilant on paying attention to these issues. And I have to give a shout out to the National Women's Law Center and supporting organizations like the NWLC and other advocacy organizations who are fighting on behalf of prisoners' rights. Yeah, just to add to that, even if you're someone who is the most hard line, you know, if you're in jail, you deserve to be there, blah, blah, blah. If you if this is your tax money, don't you want to make sure that your tax dollars are being spent in the most cost-effective way? Let's say that you're just someone who is concerned about the bottom line. Yeah. Prisons can be spending your tax money in more cost-effective ways and reducing recidivism at the same time, and they might not be doing that. Right. I think I love when you make a conservative argument for anything, Bridget. <laughs> it's so you should, it's I, funny. so out of character. I for know me. it's so fun to watch. I, I know. Love it. In, in my heart of hearts, I'm like, we should get rid of all prisons. Yeah, <laughs> I love it though. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for making me laugh at the end of this blood boiling episode. Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. Feel free to rage with us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Send us your more nuanced thoughts via email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And keep this conversation going with us on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.